Alexander's log, stardate 94271.3. I'm ever so excited to get to the Enterprise, where my mother has told me all the stories about her time there. She loves it ever so much. I think the most exciting thing is going to be to meet other little human children. I hear they break when you just breathe on them. That sounds like fun. Oh, I cannot wait. I'm going to go tell mother about it right this moment. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, the podcast that reengages with our love of Star Trek The Next Generation. We're four uh, Gen X punks reliving our childhood glory days and watching one of our own this week, Mr. Brian Bonsall. No, I'm kidding. He's a millennial. As he joins the <laughs> cast for the first and definitely not the last time as young Alexander, the son of Worf, and my own personal favorite, very brief two-time guest star, Kalar. We are ready to jump right in with all of you and re-engage. Greg Tito, how you doing? I am doing all right, and I was oddly surprised by how endearing Alexander would be to me. I thought I remembered him not being quite so so wonderful, uh, but this, this episode does introduce him, and I'm excited to talk about it. I'm right there with you. I was not expecting to find him so cute and endearing all the way through, and I did. Jimmy G, you got a different take on all that? Oh, no. Uh, he's, he's hugely endearing. I'm happy to talk about uh, the first and only fight that Worf has won thus far in four seasons of TNG. Uh, and I'm very happy that you introduced a new canon in that Alexander and uh, Renee's son are obviously twin brothers. Yes, that's really, really good point. <laughs> Kate Yeager, how's your day? My day is going fine. This episode breaks my heart, so I'm excited to talk about it, but already tender from the watching of it. I understand, and I'll try and treat you all with kid gloves as we jump right into the episode Reunion, Season 4, Episode 7. Uh, the teleplay by Thomas Perry and Joe Perry and Ronald D. Moore and Brannon Braga. Um, and we should note, this is directed by good friend Jonathan Frakes. Greg Tito, would you like to join, uh, start us off with that and tell us what's happening in your neck of the woods? Sure, sure. Uh, it was November 5th, 1990. It was an escalation of the uh, conflict in the Middle East, of course, as both sides are rattling their sabers and bringing lots of folks to that area. George Bush, George H.W. Bush, the elder, likened Saddam Hussein to Adolf Hitler uh, in the first internet post ever created. Uh, no, that's not true. But it was uh, very much like, oh, yeah, let's bring in the comparisons here to whip up uh, the support for this war. Um, but I'm not going to talk any more about that. We're going to go into sports records because that's more entertaining, oh, yeah. isn't it? So uh, a, a weird whole bunch of things happened on November uh, in, in this period. November 2nd, the, in the NBA, the first uh, game of this season uh, for both teams, the Golden State Warriors beat the Denver Nuggets 162 to 158. It is the, still the record holder for a non-overtime game with total points of 320 
setting that record. It still is held. That is nuts. It's a lot. And, and it, I remember the Denver Nuggets getting this uh, reputation from this game and then for the next subsequent seasons of just running the ball and constantly uh, having high scores going. But this was certainly huge. Uh, there are a few other uh, games that have overtimes that are much higher than this. But uh, on November 3rd, uh, TCU quarterback, speaking of, of, of crazy big numbers, Matt Vogler, um, Completed 44 passes, five touchdowns, 690 passing yards, which was a record for the college football at the time. 690, and they lost that game, which is woohoo! Very uh, uh, doesn't make much sense. Houston uh, was the opponent. Their quarterback David Klinger threw seven touchdown passes that day, and this record of 690 total passing yards only lasted one month. And David Klingler, the uh, quarterback for Houston, broke it a month later uh, for, I think, 712 passing yards. Uh, and then those records held f- until the 2010s when wow. the Washington State Cougars uh, quarterback broke that record in, I believe, 2014. We're going to get a 1,000-yard passer in some game coming One up. of these, yeah. And they're not going to run at all. They're just going to be, like, throwing up Hail Marys all game long. That, like I did when playing Tecmo Super Bowl actually at this exact same day. <laughs> I was I was more of a run game Tecmo Bowl guy, but I understand your, I understand your approach. You got to do uh, um, Joe Montana to Jerry Rice just all day long, just long ones. Yeah. Uh, and then the final Hand thing. Hand off to Christian Okoye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Kansas City, that makes sense. Uh, on November 3rd, two days before this episode aired, the Major League Baseball club owners agreed to pay $280 million to the Players Association for collusion. Uh, this was the overall term for basically the uh, MLB owners not signing free agents and agreeing not to sign them uh, with each other so as to drive the salaries of players down. Uh, there were three incidents, uh, and eventually they all kind of combined into this one larger complaint uh, that a arbitrator didn't go to like any actual court. It was the arbitrator who basically said, "Will you agree to spend two hundred eighty million dollars uh, for this conspiracy to not pay players what they were worth?" And uh, they did, and this ended any wrongdoing in baseball forever. <laughs> yeah, we can now trust the billionaires. Um, <laughs> Yeah, is is that uh, a nice sum up for what's happening in the world? That's what's happening this in week in 1990. I love it. Kate, what do you got for pop culture? I just said pop culture, I think, but uh, maybe you got some. <laughs> well, in the music world, y'all better stop, collaborate, and listen. Because Ice Ice Baby, baby. <laughs> No. Yes. It was finally Van time. Winkle? <laughs> Yes, we knew it was coming uh, that the Vanilla Ice era would hit us, but uh, I just didn't think it would happen so soon. Uh, The movie (laughs) of the week uh, that was number one is a movie that has fucked me up ever since I saw it, and that is Jacob's Ladder. Those pig faces on the subway. Uh, Still to this day, fuck me up thinking of that. Jimmy Jean, I watched that all- in the theater world. Those were the days opened, as well as Six Degrees of Separation, as well as Shadowlands. So it was quite the time in the old Broadway, as they call it. 
And on TV, listen to this, Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, David Spade, and Julia Sweeney joined the cast of Saturday Night Live, uh, which is quite the rookie cast. Wow. That is huge. Goes like that's were like there the any holdovers? Era. Do you know? I don't know. I I'm sure there were, <clears throat> but that is definitely a a big freshman class. It reminds me of the current freshman class that they have in terms of numbers. 1990 was actually like where my fandom of SNL not peaked, but like where it got like the most because I recorded their 15th anniversary special on VHS mm-hmm. and you know it had all the, like a lot of the greatest hits of all of the sketches from the previous 15 years and I just played that on repeat over and over and over again uh, it was it was it was a red letter day in SNL yeah hell yeah and that's what was happening in pop culture or pop culture well, I love all of that pop culture <laughs> we love our pop culture on this particular program <laughs> Jimmy G Shall we dive into what's happening backstage? Yes. Season four, episode seven, Reunion. Uh, This episode gives us the very first look at a TNG-designed Klingon ship, the Vorcha-class attack cruiser. Up until this point, because of budget restraints, they had always used the Klingon ships from the movies. Uh, It also gives us our very first look at, uh, I forget the name of it, but Worf's weapon that he shows to Alexander. Um, that was designed by uh, uh, one of the um, the ship designers, and uh, that person and Michael Dorn uh, made up the the movements and how the weapon would be used. Um, we learned that Kim Peck in this episode was the longest ever serving leader of the Klingon Empire, uh, and it's Kim Peck also who let slip a little uh, a, a little foible, a, a mess up. A slip-up, if you were. Um, Kim Peck says that the Klingons in the Romulans have been in a blood uh, blood enemies for 75 years, but our very own Worf uh, has let drop that uh, the Romulans and the Klingons were still allies at the time of the Kittimer Massacre. Well, now I don't know who to believe. They're all liars. Yeah, or blame. <laughs> I believe Jimmy. And that is all from the Nemesis Files. <laughs> well, I love that. Let's talk uh, guest stars. We have many repeat uh, guests, including Susie Plaxon as Kalar, again, one of my all-time favorite Star Trek characters. Uh, we knew her well. Um, <laughs> we see once more Patrick Massett as Juras and uh, Charles Cooper as Kimpak. Uh, and we are delighted to meet Robert O'Reilly as Galron, one of the great Klingon villains in uh, Star Trek history. <clears throat> he appears both on Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. In addition to that, he has appeared in hundreds of things over the years, including before this, things like Cheers and Knight Rider, Sledgehammer, which gets mentioned every time we possibly can, one of the great all-time cop shows and uh, notable especially because every cop on it was a buffoon uh, MacGyver <laughs> in the heat of the night and later on did things like NYPD Blue and uh, The Mask um, he retired from acting uh, a little bit after uh, the changeover into the 2000s and uh, seems to be happy enough. He was on Broadway in the Tavern, off-Broadway and several things as well. Um, he is currently associated with uh, 
uh, several regional theaters as an actor and director, but has not uh, uh, continued to be on screen and only occasionally treads the boards as well. But he does play a lot of golf and baseball, apparently. I absolutely love Galron, and we will talk more about him when we get there. And we need to talk briefly about John Paul Stoyer, who I had mistakenly thought was Brian Bonsall right away. But in this particular um, episode, it is uh, his first appearance as young Alexander, and he appears only this time, because when they came back to him a couple years later, he had not grown. And they wanted to show a little bit of a difference um, uh, since it had been two years since Alexander had seen his father. He did uh, play... Um, pivotal roles on Grace Under Fire and in Little Giants, which you might remember fondly as Viper, uh, great goofball, <laughs> and uh, then retired from acting and opened a restaurant in uh, a vegan restaurant in Portland, Oregon. And then a few years after that, <clears throat> we lost him to a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his early 30s. Um, a huge loss to everyone who clearly <laughs> has any investment in the man we miss him and we uh, celebrate him on here um the episode itself uh, i have said and will continue to say is one of my all-time favorites and it starts right from the beginning here um immediately we jump right in with a radiation anomaly in the gamma Arigulon system and the st and the uss enterprise d is approached by a Klingon vessel. Is this the vessel that you're talking about, Jimmy? This is the new yeah, both of them. class ship. Oh, both of them will come in. That's yep. wonderful. So he hails the ship and is pleased to be answered, as they say, by Ambassador Kalar. There she is, uh, right in character again, immediately compelling. Um, you want to know everything that's happening with her right at this moment. And, of course, she starts out with one little kind of wink over to Lieutenant Worf, just like Lieutenant, and he gives a little nod. Um, she asked to come aboard to talk about a very important uh, private matter with the captain. And of course, who does the captain send to meet Kalar in the uh, transporter room? Worf. Worf! Of there course Worf is sent to go, but he has a complaint and would like not to go. Kate, why does he say he can't go? Because of his dishonor, Eric. He's he so has been discommendated. Uh, and he, uh, Picard sees right through it and literally kind of says, no, you're being a coward. And Worf says, I withdraw my request. It is great. <laughs> and he heads right to the transporter room. Uh, what happens when he walks in there, Jimmy? What's the surprise waiting? Uh, well, he gets an Not erection one first. person. <laughs> and then he immediately loses the erection because he sees a little cling on there. And he's like, uh-oh, I think this erection got me in trouble. <laughs> I think that's a very nice way of putting the whole thing. Classy. <laughs> As always. Uh, I love the way they did this, uh, not showing his face, or not showing the transporter, but just showing the reaction in Worf's face and then cutting to the two Klingons instead of the one we were initially expecting. Um, so at this point, we get right into our uh, uh, credits, and we go through, and when we come back... Um, Kalar is leaving Alexander at daycare with the human boys and girls. And what could go wrong? Correct? 
I wrote down immediately, shit, that kid is cute. Like, he is (laughs) fucking cute, that kid. I could not agree more. I love that he's... When we get to hear him talk. The actor they chose is... uh, diminutive like i guess is what you were trying to say like he didn't grow much um which works Mm -hmm. really well because he is acting younger than he actually is i think right which works you know i believe that's correct yeah so he's he's you know probably five or six in age and acting like a three or a four year old which makes sense with the timeline my mind was like well it's only been two years or three years since uh she was a guest star on this uh, show how did this work? Oh wait, and then you know the way child actors works, it, it makes sense. So I was like, okay, yeah, this and he's doing a very good job of acting like uh, a bit younger. And he's than, very uh, still. What for whatever reason, it doesn't matter yeah. whether it's his inability or he was asked to do that, but he is a very still actor all the way through this and in almost every scene, almost emotionless, which ends up being a fantastic choice. Well, it's funny you should say that, Jimmy, because that's half the reason he was cast. Apparently, of all of the people that they brought in for it, and they brought in several, he was the only one who could sit still long enough to get the makeup on. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about that. That is why he got the gig. How much did this kid have to sit to get that on? Three hours. Wow. That is a feat, no matter what age. Agreed. Uh, So they leave him there to get into all the trouble he could possibly want, and they share a tense and um, uh, charged turbo lift ride where, uh, you know, they talk a little about the discommendation. She is not believing uh, that he had anything to uh, uh, actually take the blame for. She's not buying it. Uh, And at this point, uh, Worf brings up Alexander and says, do I need to ask the question? And she looks at him and says, yes, yes. you need to ask the question. Yeah. And then he just leaves, and the the uh, the question she then throws at him is what? Do you guys remember? Am I supposed to tell Alexander he doesn't have a father? Whoa! Boom. This entire script is written so well, as far as I'm concerned. They brought Kalar on a... Because we haven't talked to her since the discommendation, so she gets to ask all of those questions to remind us what happened. And B, you have Alexander, too, who needs to be explained what the history is with Juras and uh, Worf and the entire thing. So you have two different people who get to have the explanation that we ourselves are missing, especially if we weren't watching a couple seasons ago. So it's just so well-crafted all the way through, like... There is a reason to go over all this stuff and to show Worf's impressions and Picard's impressions at various times, um, which we didn't really get before. We now see how they've dealt with it and what their plans are moving forward. So we've begun this. Um, so next we have a meeting with senior staff. Well, before we move Kalar on, I just want to say I, oh, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, the script here is very uh, well uh, crafted, but I hate it. <laughs> I hate this oh. tension of this turbo lift. I, I, and it, but it's a good hate. Oh, it's a good hate it. because yeah, I, yeah. I, I want there to just to be like the very simple emotion, like communication between these two people who clearly have feelings for each other, but they're yeah. they just can't say it. They can't communicate in the way that you know is clear and direct. It has to be this tete a tete. It has to be this 
this this you know jabbing and parrying that they they do yeah. and it's so uncomfortable i'm just like just fucking ask the question <laughs> like just say, is it my kid okay i'll go and hang out with my kid no it's this weird like do i have to blah 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 and like this um uh almost like pissing match between Kalar and Worf of who's gonna blink first it's so awful but I love it also because it just creates this tension for like the first half of this this episode of like will they won't they well and it's the way they've always flirted too like she starts with not even a little bite on the cheek oh god I know that line that's what got him in trouble next (laughs) that is what got him in trouble uh, so senior staff meets. Kalar talks about uh, the impending, always impending civil war with the Klingons um, as uh, the chancellor is near death. And two different uh, groups are going to challenge for that uh, for that spot once Kempek dies. Uh, there's a problem and it needs to be handled well and it needs to be handled quickly because whatever else happens uh, it can lead to war if it doesn't go well so at this point Kempak asks Picard to come meet him on the battle cruiser and Picard says yes we switch right to it they go right uh, in uh, Picard is led in by a, a very giant Klingon who is then dismissed by Chancellor Kempak and we go over the fact that Kempek is dying, in fact, but it's not a natural death. He has been poisoned. Doses of Viridium-6 in his wine for months, if not years. There is no cure. Picard immediately offers to let um, the finest minds in the Federation come to his rescue, but it is not to be. We need to get the succession taken care of, and Kempek has an idea. What's his idea, Jimmy? That the totally implausible human should come in and decide who will lead the Klingons. Absolutely ridiculous. Yes, it's great. We're going to bring Vladimir Putin over here to yeah. decide between Trump and Biden next time. It's just lazy. It's you a- have one of the greatest actors, so of course you want him to do it. But it's just there is zero grounds for this to be uh, bought by anybody with an ounce of intelligence. It's just they- it's terrible. <laughs> Like, at least they could have come up with, you know, drummed up something in history where it's always someone outside the Empire that decides. Right. Like, at least they could have gone that far. Uh, but no, it has not happened. It is not right. to happen. Picard and it should all happen no, on the Enterprise. And... <laughs> right. Picard says no. Kim Peck says, ah, too late. That's why I didn't ask you. I already sent out the invites and everybody's on their way. Um, there I, are, of course, two. Can- Go ahead, Kate. I just want to talk about the wine for a hot second. The fact that <laughs> yes. he knows he's been poisoned by the wine, and he is actively chugging it like a man who wants to quicken this uh, process. Like he just, like I mean, like I, I was obsessed with his wine drinking the entire episode. And then to find out like immediately, like, oh, spoiler alert, he dies. Like this off screen. Yeah. Like I think the second An hour later. Leaves. Yeah. Like. I agree, Kate. I loved it. Like, cause he says probably the wine, but he's looking at it. Like he's looking at his killer. And every right. time he drinks that, he's, he always acknowledges the wine as if it's something other than, just liquid and it i 
I love that touch. And I thought about it. And it made yeah, me think the about the cup. I was like, oh, what a great design of the cup, too. It's very right? yeah. Klingon. It's like the forks <laughs> that we got. It was like, that, that's a nice little touch um, to make us understand that world. Um, uh, fantastic Agreed. performance by this guy. I love oh, I, I just him. And he, he gives a little smile kind of every time he takes a sip, too. Like, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. My friend Death. And there's a one moment... I would have had issues with as like, that's a lazy acting choice, but he's sitting down talking with Picard. He stands up, walks across the room and sits down immediately. But the way he was playing it and the like sort of, I'm giving in to this dying. I know it's right around the corner. It's, it's obvious. It's imminent, which we didn't know. And he's like, just, I can't even stand anymore. <laughs> like it was nice. Yeah, he just I'm, sits I'm right I'm dying back down. and drunk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing left yeah. to do, but to curl up with my friend. He's killing me. This wine. Uh, I was arguing back I to love this. his girlfriend, or uh, you know, who in the previous episode with the Klingon Empire called him fat, right? It was all like, you know, that oh, right. didn't right. want him. And I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe he's not actually poisoned. Maybe he actually did just drink himself to death. It's very hard to say. <laughs> and we won't really see that in modern American pop culture until a few years later with Leaving Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> 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 so uh, we can't trust anybody else. It's got to be Captain Galron and Duras are on their way. Oh my God, Duras thinks Picard. Duras yeah, is the guy. one we are reminded that uh, made Worf accept this discommendation by lying about Duras's own father, um, who is the one who, of course, was responsible for the Kitimer massacre, and Worf took on uh, the responsibility as the son of the framed man. And uh, we get into all of that again a little bit later as we talk about Worf's brother Kern and Worf um, still having plans to make all that right, even at the end of this episode. <laughs> so, surprise, surprise, taking the lie to save anything doesn't pan out. I mean, when has it ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I don't understand um, about this setup is that the. the Worf did that to save the Empire, but how how did that save the Empire? Because here they, the two <laughs> factions are still at odds with each other, and perhaps choosing one yeah. or the other would be the same result as if Worf had just stuck to his guns and 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 called them out. Then it seems like Kempek is uh, is a, is just an abject failure here at the end of trying to like he's trying to do his mm -hmm. politicking and it's not working, and he failed anyway. <laughs> It's an interesting episode for all of that because at the end we don't really get any answers as to the relationship of the bomb that we'll talk about later. We have all of our, our thoughts that it is Duras, but we don't get any of that confirmed and Duras uh, ends up dying at the end of this episode. So we move on from here with the presumptive Gowron uh, moving forward. But we do not know who is responsible for all of the stuff yet, mm. except uh, for the later murder of one of the other characters that we'll get to. Um, at this point, Worf goes to pick up his son without acknowledging him from daycare. And Alexander is very close to beating the shit out of a couple of humans because he was about to win the game and it was time to uh, throw down a little bit. Uh, Worf takes him out and says... <laughs> and says uh, that a warrior would never act like that. And Alexander says, but but not, Father. I am ever so not interested in becoming a warrior. And that makes Worf a little baffled. We're not going to like that shit at all. So he takes the kid by the scruff of the neck 
and goes to Kalar's quarters. Um, but before that, I just so want to point get, out that that yeah, walk and talk scene uh, with Alexander is a wonderful bit of acting from the young kid. Just yeah. simply asking why, why, and I'm like, oh god, shut up! <laughs> you don't have <laughs> time to explain every right. like every little thing to you, kid. A warrior doesn't like, ask so many questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A warrior is stoic and just takes it. Shut up. Which is and there's the visual. Go ahead. Sorry, there's uh, uh, perhaps I'm just beating a drum that doesn't need to be hit at all. But uh, Warp's line about um, a, a warrior, there's no honor in picking on the weak, is what he says to to mm -hmm. Alexander, which is a noble thing to say. But it's in direct contrast then of having being a part of an empire, because the only way you become right. an empire is by picking on the weak. <laughs> Well, and I mean, like, the warrior goes after whoever he's told to go after, and a lot of times it's right. the weaker army. Like, it, yeah. Uh, you and I are in agreement on this, but I think we can agree that Worf is fully brainwashed on the subject. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... And that is really brought into full relief in this episode because the way Worf mm -hmm. talks about it, no other Klingon does. Like, no other Klingon is like, honor, blah, 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 blah. Like, he has fully drank the Kool-Aid, you're right, and it, it, it's like he's the, the zealot of the Klingon Empire without ever having, you know, the real right consequences of what it's like to live in a society that would act the way he does, right? right? Which so makes I, sense, though, right? It's right, kind of cool because totally he's not yeah. the one who's been a part of it, so he he clings to it more fiercely than the people who who are there. Right. It does make sense. These guys are smart. They write good. Uh, so we finally get to the point where uh, Kalar and Worf talk a little bit more seriously about the, uh, the I don't know, origin of the tiny Klingon. And uh, <laughs> we, we discuss the possibility of her having told him about him earlier. She gives like this little shrug kind of, yeah, okay, so that wasn't the best, but now you do know. What are we going to do about it? I couldn't tell you then anyway because you would have wanted to get married. But we, And then he says, yes, and we can't do that because the kid would have my name and he would be dishonored. And she's like, you stupid motherfucker who gives a fuck. I love you. He does. I love you. And they do get into that. Yeah. Oh. It's wonderful, this moment right there. She's like, I don't want to get married, but more. I don't want to be away from you either. And so you you complete me, she basically says. Yeah, right I think literally she they... says that, doesn't she? Yeah. You complete me, Worf? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, this is where you had me at Hello comes from, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> you had me at Lip Snarl. <laughs> the third one it's perfect um so they talk again about why Worf. she she's really really interested in knowing the whys of the discommendation Worf won't tell her picard won't tell her a little bit later and it really comes down to their responsibility in that moment uh they're really responsible for what happens to her a little bit later for that reason. Totally. Um, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll get to that. Um, so now we have uh, a call to the bridge because the, the two possible um, leaders of the Klingon Empire have arrived and they're separate birds of prey. Um, 
I think Duras contacts first and says, well, fuck Kempek. Uh, Picard, you're no fit leader. And he kind of goes on and on about this and then just kind of says, hey, we're doing this ceremony. Bye. And he just Picard out in the middle of Duras's little rave, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately, uh, uh, we get, um, what do you call it? Going out of his way to insult Worf, too. Like, it wasn't... It, the, the, oh, rant, yeah. the rant was about, how could you let that thing in my sight? Like, you know, yeah. doubling down on the fact. It. Even though he knows it's a lie. Right. He's really leaning into the lie. Which, you know, Costanza Todd does. It's not a lie if you believe it. So. <laughs> Obviously, Duras is a Seinfeld fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, next we get a nice little uh, conversation between Picard and Worf where uh, Picard says he understands that this is a difficult time for him and that it's only going to get harder. And Worf says, no, I understand. I will do my thing. And Picard kind of just kind of goes, no, but I mean, I want you to know that I see that, Uh, which is a nice little piece of leadership. Like, that's something that is always a nice thing to do. Take aside someone that you work with that you know is going through some shit. Say, it's not fair but at least I know what you're doing. I appreciate it. And it, you imply that it it brings you closer together. Um, and it's a nice little moment because of what happens later and how the next time they meet alone in the ready room, it goes yeah. very differently. Well, I think, interestingly enough, in this scene with Worf and, uh, and Picard, we learn, you know, he, he admits that that there was a poisoning, which just stuns Worf, right? Um, But also he's like, Duras shouldn't be the leader because he's an asshole. And this is my whole problem with this episode. I love this episode a lot. But Mm -hmm. we know Duras is is an asshole. And we end up learning yep we were right he's an asshole (laughs) like like we're distrustful of him and our distrust is never not founded uh it's just an interesting you know that the big baddie in this episode ends up being the big baddie but i think right you know it's more about how Worf deals with that that big yeah. baddie that right. becomes interesting. But that just, I, I was struck in here because Worf is very adamant about the fact that, you know, we already know what a douchebag this guy is. Uh, and it turns out, spoiler alert, he still is one. Jimmy. <laughs> and Jimmy. this is a great lead into, uh, TNG is flirting with... Um, with um, um, epic episodes, meaning I don't know if it's serialization, but they're flirting with the idea of connecting stories over a long period. And they don't do it like stretching out the story. It's we're going to tackle this in one episode. We have 50 minutes to deal with this specific thing. And then next season, we'll come back and visit the discommendation, but and we'll connect it back. And for us, that was brand new because TOS never did that. So it was like, oh my gosh, they're really building a world. If this was in Deep Space Nine, this would have been a three or four part. Uh, it, mm. it would have spanned this whole mm. thing with trying to get a leader. And that this would have spanned several episodes because Deep Space Nine took that idea. It was like, you know what? Let's go further. We can really crack these nuts and let them spill on the floor and pick them up slowly to put it back together rather than one hour. Because like you said, Duras was the bad guy from the beginning. 
because we knew he was a bad guy from another episode. Like, he betrayed his people, mass his dad did, massacred Klingons and Romulans. So we knew, like, no matter what, this guy is shady. Uh, so he's number one suspect when anything goes wrong. Um, and that may have been like, oh, but maybe because we know that's so obvious, it might be the other guy. But like, you know, like you said, like then well, it ends up, well, it is him. It's trying to be a, yeah. a, an episode full of intrigue, but there is no intrigue. Like the actual intrigue right. is like, See, yep, I, right? Yeah. Spot on. I feel like there is, I feel like there remains intrigue because we know what happens with Gowron after this because we have watched those. So, like, we know that retrospective and, and we're about intrigue. to meet him, which is wonderful. But I, I, I want to take a second, Jimmy, and talk about how clean and clear that nut analogy was and how I'm going to steal it and talk about nuts <laughs> spinning around on the floor after you've cracked them. And then you got to put the time. nuts back together because that's pick what you them do up after like you crack the nuts. Yeah, that's what you do after you crack them. I absolutely <laughs> love the nut analogy and I want it on the record. Um, Jimmy's got great nuts. So I'm smiling next, out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so next we get Duras and Gowron and their little uh, aides de camp show up and this entrance of Gowron like this dude's performance all the way through with those fucking eyes and that like thin line of a mouth like this physical <laughs> characterization has stuck with me for 30 years I absolutely love his performance it's unhinged it's over the top perfect what do you think kate oh it's just perfection i just i wrote in all caps about him like every time he was on screen and it goes towards that sort of uh it's that uh foil to the thought that less is more in acting more is more sometimes you know like and this whole this whole Kalar is more right like that like this episode is full of just great performances including uh them tasing the dead body (laughs) which i did not know was going to be a thing they're like hold on we just have to do this real quick ceremony it's no big deal make sure he's really dead (laughs) right like and everybody did it differently. Oh my gosh! They all made and different choices. Yeah, I know. Duras like really like got like almost twisted it right. Like it was like a shove, yeah. and then a little like. <laughs> if he wasn't the Always villain already, say, I'm mind. an alpha. I'm an alpha. <laughs> <laughs> I stab good. Um, I agree with everything there. The the eyes though is something that like I constantly am thinking like is that just the actor or was that a choice or was that something that he would like is is wanting to make his mark on Klingon performance? Was he like I'm just gonna be wide eyed in every scene? Like is that possible? Can you do that? You know what that looked like to me or feels apparently you can. That feels like to me an actor getting that makeup on and then playing with features and mm-hmm. figuring out what like that's what I do whenever I finally get my costume or my shoes. I figure out how this character lives in this body and in this costume and in this world and in this makeup. And I just feel like he was like, there it is. I I can't move my forehead or my cheeks at all, but you know what I can fucking do? (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you, Kate. That's what it, that's what it seemed like to me as well. Like, how can I make this mine? Well, and Eric, have you seen him in other stuff? Like I, I'm sure I haven't, I don't remember him. I looked up a picture and his eyes didn't look that big. He does not look like this to me. 
in yeah, his eyes, it's of not his a thing, right? Like big eyes, like it doesn't carry he's over to other Steve other characters. Kind of character. He's like I, I haven't gone back and looked at his other guest stars or his movie work since since recognizing him in this. He did right. a ton. So you're right. I have to go back and see him in other stuff. But I, I didn't. Uh, I'd do love that to yet. know that because it was uh, striking. Like, yeah. And in a good way, like he, it, it really hit home that this guy is a loose cannon. Well, particularly because <laughs> there's not necessarily a lot of mystery about Duras, right? Like, if we right. know that he's the baddie, uh, or he's coming into here with a reputation, how are you going to top that and put yourself in on the list of suspects? Just be unhinged, right? It's brilliant. I'm it looking, really is. I'm um, looking up now. He does not ahead. particularly have uh, deep set eyes, uh, and he was actually in uh, Manhunt, uh, the uh, upcoming TNG thing as Scarface. But yeah, no, he he he's certainly playing it oh, up. Fun, I think, for this. Yeah, and you know what else I like oh, about um, Scarface? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that too. I read that in the Larry Nemesic thing. Um, but he's not uh, physically intimidating. Like, a mm. lot of the Klingons, they mm -hmm. hire people that look kind of big. And when we get to the bomb scene, we can see that they're all wearing kiss boots to give them some of that height. <laughs> right. Uh, but We're in the bomb scene. Yeah, so, so And he does – yeah. he still has an intimidation factor. And this is something that Eric and I would talk about when we were going through Game of Thrones, the, uh, the original series, is it was sometimes disappointing that they always cast the same kind of – intimidating white guy instead of relying on you know sometimes a very diminutive uh non-threatening looking person can be absolutely frightening um and this guy isn't doesn't seem big and muscular but he still definitely uh very believably plays a person you don't want to fuck around with yeah agreed i, I find him like since i was a kid he's he's my favorite like klingon baddie just a big big fan of his performance right off the bat here and that's why i i don't mind so much that duras is the big bad in this because it's been long enough that i don't remember i don't remember uh at the beginning of this episode watching it that duras dies in this right. i i think that galron and duras like become these uh head-to-head -head rivals for a few episodes yeah uh that's how much i remember duras uh galron uh uh, kind of galvanating the uh, the the feeling of uh, the entire Klingon Empire moving forward, and he does. Like he he's he leads the Klingon Empire through much of Deep Space Nine as well. Like he is recurring, which is super interesting. Anyway, as they're arguing and uh, uh, they're arguing whether or not Picard can do any of this that he sets out to do, a bomb suddenly explodes, and I love the surprise of that. Did yeah. that take you guys off, off guard? I did yeah. not remember that happening. No, no, that was... Totally off guard, and that's where I saw the kiss boots. Um, <laughs> the guy flies up in the air, but it was nice because don't they? It it's almost goes slow motion, right? Like it explodes, and mm -hmm. then I don't know if it's literally slow motion or if it they just slow down a bit. But it was really nice surprise and a nice way to like kind of cut to commercial. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right because the question commercial. is there is like what who the, I even the slow motion makes that happen. Like what who said it? Why were they choose choosing to do it at this moment? All those things are like the question marks going into the next act. Yeah. 
And the next act finds us once more in Kalar's room, uh, talking about the explosion with Worf. And uh, Worf is concerned, and she is touched that he is concerned, and they get into the place where they do say these loving things, which I guess translate to she said, or Worf says, my blood, and she replies, our blood. And that is the beginning of the oath that they refused to say earlier, and he refuses once more because he will not pass his dishonor to Alexander. And we get again, why did you accept this commendation? She is obsessed with this, partially because she wants to be with Worf and partially because it clearly affects the Klingon Empire moving forward. What she does not know, she cannot help with. And so she is determined, determined to find out. But then she also says to Worf, if you can't be his father, can you at least be his friend? Mm. My God. What a nice moment. And Worf's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) What did you guys think of this scene? This is one of my favorite scenes in the episode. The scene is just fucking great. And this is where where she says, you're a part of me, Worf, which is just beautiful. Um, There's just so much good tension and uh, of all kinds, including the sexual kind, because they almost Mm -hmm. start to make out. And then that fucking discommendation like just gets in the way. (laughs) Uh, But it's just a really beautiful scene between two lovely actors who have amazing chemistry. I love it, too. Uh, And I love it for all the reasons that I hate it. Only because I wanted them to be together so much. There was nothing wrong with it. It was beautifully acted. It was just one of those things in the world of TV where you only have so many regular characters and so they have to always come up with brilliant reasons as to why we can't add anymore or these people can't fall in love and be in love and have relationships uh and that's what this is is like this is a super couple (laughs) why can't they be together well and then all the all Uh, the the hard parts of the early parts of this of the episode come to fruition here like the reason why they're not able to communicate they're not saying what they really want to say that makes this scene so much more powerful and so much more heartbreaking yeah. because you're like oh they finally are about to do it they're, they're snarling they're about to snarl <laughs> they're about to and, be and it's all with the more <laughs> more effective because there are like four seconds where they are unguarded with each other yeah and, and they that's both it. commit to it fully and then it's over and you know then they go back to like divorced parents talking about the kid mm. and and it's it's friendship again and it's just unsatisfying in the best way um Agreed. so crusher is hard at work figuring out what the fuck but she cannot figure it out in time to let picard know uh whether there are any clues as to which side did it so he's in a spot Luckily, Kalar is there to suggest the Jachuk, which is an ancient ceremony. Uh, well, no, that's not even true. Picard asks about it first. She says there's no modern way in succession to do anything about this, to slow it down. And Picard picks right up on that word modern and says, what the fuck are you talking about? And then she says the uh, Jachuk which is ancient, and you have to get up there and do all the bragging. You can't even get a hype man to do it. You got to do it. (laughs) Get up there, say everybody you beat down, every war you won, and every pin that you've earned from your government. And it can last forever, depending on uh, 
what the accomplishments actually are or which ones you can make up to fill the time. <laughs> the length of it does matter, of course, because it's all boys. Um, <clears throat> so Picard's very happy about that, right? But as uh, Kalar is leaving with his grateful thanks, she's still wondering about the discommendation, and she knows that Picard knows. So she asks a personal request. Um, yeah. What do you guys think about the way Picard handles this? I think he handles it, you know, as he needs to. Like, I think he's uh, his first loyalty is to Worf in this situation, and he knows that Worf would take it as a personal affront if Picard was the one to divulge this information, as well as it being a tense, you know, changing of what would happen if Duras was was implicated at this particular moment in time. The thing that bothers me about this scene, though, is that the door is open behind her. She goes to the door and the door opens. So like the whole bridge is there and she's like, tell me the thing that everyone is keeping secret from me while in full view of, of the rest of the crew. I just thought that was an odd detail. Probably wasn't even thought of, but I was just like, oh, no, do it in private. Don't do it with the door open. I absolutely did not catch that. And you're right. That's that's huge. Um Anything else about this scene before we move back to Duras and Galron smiling and snarling at each other? No? All right, so Kalar is not happy with Picard telling her, no, we cannot discuss this, and she leaves clearly to do some digging on her own. So we go to basically uh, the conference room one more time. Uh, Duras wants to get this over with right the fuck now. Uh, so he can, you know, kill the other guy while Gowron, of course, um, really just wants to kill him whenever. It's fine. Basically, uh, I'm happy to kill you now. I'm happy to kill you in an hour, uh, but I'm definitely going to kill you. <laughs> um, Picard comes in and shows off his Klingon. He basically says, basta. And everybody stops. And he then announces, of course, we will be doing this ancient ritual that Probably Duras has never heard of, but he pretends he has. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I didn't do my and, and history. Gowron knows exactly know. what it means. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to take forever. Uh, yeah. And uh, says, well, it'll take as long as it takes. And as long as you tell the truth, you know, it could take hours, could take days. And the um, delaying here is supposed to be so that the rest of the crew can investigate uh, the, the death bomb. of... Bomb. Well, the bomb, I guess, but it was really supposed to be about like who poisoned uh, oh, Co- right, right, Co- Copac, the poisoner, right, right. But they don't, they kind of forget that part. And now they're just focusing on the bomb uh, and all that. Uh, <laughs> well, Crusher can only do one thing at a time, right? And they've got both of these investigations keying in on her, <laughs> so that's problematic. I guess she starts with the easier to deal with carnage. Uh, rather than the, uh, we know DNA takes so long. Maybe poison does too. For <laughs> poison takes a much longer amount of time. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, we lovely get this fantastic scene now with uh, Alexander and Worf talking about the um, uh, Batleth, right? The Batleth. Uh, that big, wonderful weapon that we see with Worf so often. And Alexander picks it up and just kind of like throws it around. <laughs> <laughs> like and Worf isn't isn't 
isn't concerned that there's a child swinging this thing randomly throughout <laughs> That's the room. That's what I thought it was going to be, He's concerned too. I thought he was going to be like, oh, doing it well enough. You're going to cut me. Or like, yeah, right, you're going to cut yourself. <laughs> None of that. He's just like, no, you have to do Instead, he's like, the dance. <laughs> yeah. Make it part of your fucking arm, kid, or put it back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this aluminum thing is going to kick some butt. Which is, by uh, the way, a terrible way to teach somebody how to use a weapon. The platitude. Really right? Make it a part of your arm. Like, uh, uh, what's go. the process of doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Make it Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> right. I'm 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 in that process right now with West Side Story, and it, it can be it can be a, a tough moment of communication for all concerned. So I feel you, Worf, but uh, you ain't doing it right. Um, so next, check we got another Batleth, favorite though, scene in this scene, right? Like we it know is. it's gonna come Fully up. Check off Fat Left. I didn't even consider that, but you're absolutely right. That's exactly what this is. Um, we get another perfect scene with Kalar. I'm just madder and madder and madder that we lose this character. Yeah. I absolutely love her performance and everything about it every time she's on screen. So she's sitting there and, and uh, gets approached by Gowron. And now it's time to uh, start showing our cards a little bit. The bribery portion of the succession has begun. Uh, who wants to kind of talk your way through this scene? Well, it's a go crazy it. scene where he shows up and they, you know, go toe to toe and he's telling her, mm -hmm. back off, lady. And I guess more importantly, I want to talk about the aftermath and what was going through okay. not only the character's head, but the writer's head of there was no way he was uh, Duras was committing himself. No, this is Gowron first. Oh, oh, right, right. I love that. I love, I loved yeah. when he came in and the way he played with her. Again, and this is what made me think of, this is a really fun way to play a bad guy where it's not um, menacing and, you know, I'm squinting my eyes at you and throwing threats around. It's like you can almost seem jovial and yeah. be very scary. And he seemed to be yeah. having a blast. Agreed. And and so did she. Uh, her reaction to the whole thing is, is absolutely classic. She has so many of these wonderful classic moments. Do you remember what she said to him after he made his pitch? You talk like a Ferengi. Oh, yes. <laughs> you talk like a Ferengi. With all the dealing. Oh, yeah, yeah. man. Oh, it's so good. And, I mean, how to absolutely demasculate uh you know emasculate a klingon asshole it's just the perfect thing to say and then you see the real gowron you know he says kempek was old and weak oh no that's what she says in response he he mentions kempek's stubbornness and that she should not end up the same way he does and she says kempek was old and weak i am not and then they smile at each other and gowron leaves Oh my goodness, I love it. Yeah, I, and I um, interpreted this a little different than than you, Jimmy. I didn't think of him as a bad guy in this situation. I think he was really trying to. This is this is the Klingon version of trying to make friends. Like he he sees that she <laughs> holds power in this negotiation. You know, he doesn't think he's going to be able to get to Picard and try to sway him to his side. So he's trying a, a different tactic and you know, he's doing it in a very Klingon way of, you know, bailed threats and things like that. But I don't think of him necessarily as being evil here. He's just, he's doing the, the, the politicking. He's trying to get someone on the his side and, and offering things that she, he thinks she will want. 
in sure. doing it. No, I, I see I, where I you're wanna... going. I still think when you make a threat to somebody, you're you've gone p- beyond politicking. That's hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say that that threat is also what brings Goran into the picture in terms right. of you know he's basically like pretty big shame what happened with that poisoning would be kind of a bummer if that happened to you too which is you know a wonderful sort of way to to raise suspicion on him him. yeah right yeah the next scene we get data and jordy get a big microphone magnifying glass (laughs) and see a tiny little uh (laughs) signature uh this was made in romulus Uh, (laughs) and and they bring that uh, information to the rest of the crew uh, after the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it used a molecular decay detonator, which is only used by the Romulans. We assume it's some sort of organic um, uh, substance that coats the bomb and uh, breaks down. And once it breaks down, the uh, the bomb comes in contact with air unless you put xenon around it. <laughs> And uh, it explodes. Only so after the commercials, right, only Romulans do that. Uh, after the commercial, we go back to one of the three sets we use. Uh, <laughs> and we're back in the meeting room uh, with up, Kalar Jimmy? and Worf. We can't gloss that... over the Treknobabble there. That was brilliant. Please, please, please. It might it not make good. total sense, but I absolutely love when sci-fi slips in little things like this where it's a molecular bomb. Like, these are the type of things that sci-fi writers is like, oh, yeah, and there's uh, these people that I'm thinking about. They have this molecular bomb, so it goes into your body. <laughs> And it's tied to your DNA, and so nobody can detect it. Like, that is, I think, absolute fun. And that it came from inside the body. Like, it was it was an implant. It might not even been done to the person who had its knowledge. Like, he, they might not even have known that they were a walking bomb. Well, we don't even know that part we're yet. That's yet. after the next commercial break. Ah, Because uh, it's Crusher that brings us that vital information. Yeah, Data Crusher. and Jordy have brought us the technology information. Um, so we'll talk more about that momentarily. <laughs> In the meantime, <laughs> uh, Kalar and Worf talk about the fact that this kind of bomb could not have been placed on a Klingon ship by the Romulans. So somebody in that room uh, or somebody in that ship was helping the Romulans. And then we are reminded... who has a reputation of working with Romulans. <laughs> exactly. Back to the Kittimer massacre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Kalar now has this Gowron threat that she can bring up too. So it can't just be Duras. But Worf says, no, fuck it. It's Duras. <laughs> fuck it. No. It's Duras. I love that that, um, that Kalar is just like, oh, by the way, he offered me a seat on the council, and he she basically is like, just well, look at this Joker. He gave me all like he was promise. She was he was promising me, you know, a million dollars and and uh, you know trips to the Bahamas. I I turned him down, of course. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, um, so Worf says no, has to be Duras, 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 Duras. And Kaylar's like, what the fuck is your hard on about Duras? <laughs> Again with this shit. And uh, both Morph and Picard are like, we can't, we can't tell you. We can't tell you again. I'm telling you that we can't tell <laughs> and you. And this is a hard no. Can you tell us? Nope. 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 <laughs> Just trust us. We're men. We know. And she is 
hot about this. Fuck no. Um, this will not stand. I will figure it out. Again, this it's almost like she turns stand. to the camera over and over and is just like, I will figure this out. <laughs> oh, yes. I will figure this She's out. She's going to go ask her friend, Magil. <laughs> Lots of computer talk. Yeah, she is. Um, so she does move forward into the, uh, the internet, and she, t- she does a few Google searches. Um, she wants to see everything that happened during Worf's discommendation. So she does search for that. She does search for this. And then eventually she's like, well, tell me about Duras. Like you wouldn't open with a Google search of Duras. I think that's where I'm frustrated. I think, Go ahead, I think she was using Ask Jeeves, which is even more. <laughs> <laughs> Go get it, Lycos. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Um, so at, we we cut to the very end of the ceremony because no fucking way do we want to watch hours and hours and hours of this. So we see Gowron's final sentence. I love that he's got his like hands up in it. the air, his eyes as wide as they can be, and he's talking and going <laughs> on. It's like a great cut to of like. Yeah. The camera angle helps him too. Like yeah. everything is set up for the mostness of the most that he can possibly give us. So good. And then a nice little bow. <laughs> I am done. Thank you for clapping. Um, and Picard's like fanning himself and going, we need to take a break. So we, <laughs> we'll, we'll go over what you've said, but I, I got to get out. And so Gowron gets up uh, ready to leave. But the thing is, Picard wants to talk about the, uh, the bomb situation. Uh, let's talk about the bomb a little bit. Come on, Worf. Come talk about the bomb. And everybody freaks the fuck out when Worf walks in. Right. And then Picard had set this up earlier. It was like, hey, I'm going to call you in, and you're going to piss off everybody, and it's going to be so great. It was like almost like this like prosecutor courtroom scene where they're like, we're going to have a surprise witness yeah. come in and see how people react to it uh, to see what happens. And Worf <laughs> goes hard. He like goes right at yeah. Doris and was like, you are the one who did this. Basically, he even kind of loves it when they freak out. Like they give him a little, yeah, <laughs> almost a little skip to his part to to confront both of them and read his, uh, uh, what do you call it, his uh, iPad. To them. <laughs> uh, and he talks about it being a uh, molecular decay detonator, as as Jimmy had mentioned. Uh, Duras jumps up and. Uh, having heard that says well i'll go ask my people if that's true <laughs> i don't even know if that's true but i'm gonna go i'm gonna go see with my people what we find and uh, maybe 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 we'll we'll confirm what you're saying about this romulan thing who are the romulans i don't even know the romulans you're the one who knows the romulans <laughs> he is he's, so he's guilty very suspicious acting. and i like that gowron as soon as the molecular detonator thing was like he's like Oh, it was you. Like he he yeah. Yeah. susses it right from the beginning as soon as Worf utters those words. Yeah, which is how I mean, you know that Gowron is privy to all of the info that Kalar is not. Yeah. And that's one of the things that is frustrating to me. Like everybody knows, dude. Just tell her. She's the ambassador. Like sh- this is information she needs to know. <laughs> but Get no, new information here, man. <laughs> Has come to life. <laughs> Beyond pacifism? <laughs> Um, Kalar's investigations continue, right? Uh, She's looking further and further into everything, and now she wants to know all of the logs uh, from the 
right. uh, from all of the members of uh, the Federation that were there. She tries to access personal logs and is declined, so then she starts at the beginning and hears all of the official logs uh, as we sit down, and she tries to figure out between that and Duras what the fuck's going on. Throwing up all kinds of red flags as she's searching around. Uh. Yeah, they don't even have a VPN or you know, <laughs> private mode on any of this stuff. At least we go right to Duras's room. Yeah, we go right to Duras's room and one of his little fucks says, hey, Kilar's been doing stuff she's not supposed to. <laughs> and it's pretty quick how Duras says, go distract the guard for me. Yeah. He's like, yeah. And he just walks out, and the great guard, this fucking Federation, like, stud who knows everything, just goes, hey, you can't leave here without an escort. <laughs> and then there's nobody there. They didn't count how many fucking Klingons were in the room. That's Worf's responsibility, right? He's in charge of security. Yeah, that guy that up, reports dude. to Worf. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I blame him. Another reason to blame him for his his lover's death. What do you think yeah. Worf did to that we, guy? We got all to the that, reasons. Uh, security guard. He bat left them. Well, up. I mean, yeah, I'm saying the bat left is, has not drunk enough blood today. <laughs> <laughs> so we we go right from there to Kalar's quarters. Like they they have no uh, pause there. They walk. He walks in, and Kalar has figured it all out. Yeah, she knows who the traitor at Kittimer was. She knows all of it, and she is going to tell everybody. Um, I love the contrast of this scene break. with the Gowron scene, right? Like she does the exact she she stays true to herself this for both of those characters, and is just like, no, I am am just as badass as you are. You know, I'm not going to take your crap, uh, and I'm you know, uh, she just doesn't doesn't back down at all and yeah. that is Gowron doesn't do what what Duras does and that's the contrast Correct. between the two of them uh, but we don't find out yet we we go to a commercial break and come right back to Dr. Crusher who has figured out the shit there were only two Klingons killed in the blast she explains to Riker uh, one of Duras's guys and one of Gowron's guys um, it was all very confusing to her, and we don't even get to see the computer-generated uh, animation that she certainly went through to figure <laughs> out where the bomb came from, what the blast radius was, the blood spatter, and everything. We know it was some badass animation, but we don't get to see it. We get that one still diagram of an exploding forearm, yeah, that's pretty, pretty terrifying. Good. It's pretty good. We, yeah. we find out exactly how small this bomb was, small enough to inject inside someone's forearm. Uh, it was one, one wound, and it, what does she say? It was made from the inside out. Oh, just oh. That, that descriptor is so vivid. <laughs> it must have been implanted um, when she he was saves... getting a tattoo. <laughs> she saves the lead for the end. It has to be pulled out of her. It was Duras's dude. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like... like you don't lead with that. Apparently, you go through the hows before you get to the the important shit. Even with time, fucking ticking, motherfucker. I didn't Just even say, realize I it, figured like, out it was Duras. Every clue that they unearth throughout this thing is like, yep, no, it's it's who we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. Um, yeah. So we. We cut to another father-son moment with the uh, with the Batleff because we have to have it 
in hand for this next scene or it doesn't work. Um, and Worf is bringing Alexander back to his mom's room. Here's the problem. She sprawled out on the footstool. Uh, dead. She's she's gone. She's bloody everywhere. It's it's over. It's a massacre. And she's mostly dead. She's mostly dead. Thank you, Jimmy. Because she's Thank able you, to say, Duras. Yeah. And not only and that, the yeah, the hands taking the hands. little Alexander's hand and putting yeah. it on Worf's big hand. Oh. Come on, dead. Very touching moment. Yeah, that was good. like. I'm I'm both proud of how they did this and angry. Like I want to see her die the Klingon warrior's death, but I also really appreciate not showing her getting beat to death. Oh yeah, you know, like all I of these things that. are terrific. Um, Almost all the violence, but, even though this is a pretty violent thing, happens off screen until we until we get a little bit farther. But like I kind of like yeah. that in a way. Well, even even the off-screen one, which we're about to get to, on-screen one, which we're about to get to, they show Worf, not him, True. at first. Right. Um, it's interesting. It's, I love it's really clearly on purpose. Go ahead. That's an, I didn't think about it until you brought that up about the Klingon death, like getting to see that. I'm glad we didn't, mm -hmm. but that would have been yep. a nice touch when Worf confronts Duras if there was a hint of he was wounded, like – Right, you know, like he has a broken rib or something, where yeah. she put up a fight, yeah. like just a hint that mm. it wasn't a, an easy kill. One side would have been nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I there's no way she didn't hurt him. Like, there's no way, uh, even even without the word, like having having seen a scratch on his face or something, something. like that to betray his guilt. Right. Yeah. You know, something well, that she could aid in. Uh, physically as well as as and this was a suicide but, you know, run right like there's he didn't know what was going to happen to him but by from Worf coming oh, you up mean Worf. Yeah, but yeah duras or, or the writers anybody like when he left that his quarters the enterprise knew he left at at what time they knew at what time he mm -hmm. entered into kalar's quarters uh and then what time she died like there's zero chance he can walk away from this without consequences as soon as she's dead it's going to be pieced together pretty quick when they ask computer like who was here last right uh Duras. right and that's when uh you know by the way kalar's life signs <laughs> really took a <laughs> nosedive uh moments before he left the room like we knew where this where that that he was going to get caught um well that's the, that's the thing answering. is once he gets over to the other ship you assume that they can't just show up yeah. and take him in. They would be diplomatic. It would be, do you that know? That did occur to me Worf, too. Worf going over there and the very weapon. key saying that she's my mate. Yeah. You know, which gives him suddenly standing again. Uh, like that, that's the thing that everybody looks at as this deep inner thing that takes over from the family honor. This is the personal honor. Right. Well, and there's a uh, challenge, right? Because it opens up with that one guard yeah. saying he has a challenge. And Duras kind right. of sweeps aside. Well, he you doesn't get the challenge because he's nobody. No, right. That that doesn't get a challenge. Right. Right. It It is no one. And then when he yeah. says the mate, there is a very palpable Everybody shift. Shifts. Like somebody, the yep. director was like, everybody needs to react to that because that's a big deal here. 
I like that um, on the ship, as they're getting ready ahead. to go, they set their phasers to maximum stun. I remember Jimmy's list yes. from last week, and I was very yes. impressed. <laughs> they're all like, remember that? Big and angry. But back. Uh, and they do say among themselves, whatever it takes to get Worf back. Yeah. It's if he doesn't, they, they acknowledge even with them that they might have to get physical with him. But they're sure as shit not going to engage him hand to hand. They're going to maximum stun the guy. But don't you think they would have um, been like, you know what? I know he looks tough, but he always loses. <laughs> the guy's never <laughs> won a fight, and I bet on him a lot. So I might have a yeah. shot here. They do say that Kalar was stabbed multiple, multiple times. So it doesn't seem like it was a beat down so much as a knife uh, yeah. over and over and over uh, to her. Uh, so it's not like she had the ability necessarily to fight back uh, with that being the uh, the story of how it happened. Um, so we're, we're at the fight here. I, I was really impressed. I thought this was a terrific fight by and large. Should have been too, should have been a little faster, but other than that, I really liked it. What did you guys think? Yeah. I I was on the opposite side, Eric. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't think it was, I feel like the two actors might've choreographed this and not a professional because Duras's attacks were really just, he was just hitting the center of the backlift. Um, and it didn't seem like there was any attempt to try to give him skillful moves around that weapon. Not to disagree with you totally, but I totally disagree with you. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> in that, I think it, it shows that Duras is not a meet-you-in-the-middle fighter. He, he only has uh, a chance with Worf if he overpowers him and, you know, like one mm. of the Batlefs breaks or some shit. Like, he can't over time compete with Worf. Gotcha. And certainly not with a big angry Worf. But also an angry Worf isn't as good at the the moves that are a little more subtle either. So like I like how it's basically two moves over and over and over again, hoping that one of them trips, hoping that one of them like there there needs to be a way for it to be evenly matched. Right. And having one scared and moving forward and one angry and moving forward uh it works for me do you know for um, me it seemed like it was like in dnd terms like the rogue fighting against a barbarian like it, it, yeah Duras is not an, a warrior he only really kills through subterfuge right. or deceit mm. and so actually he's he's not in the right uh you know he, he's never going to win uh this especially with Worf having his um dander up as he does um, but I like that there's yeah. a couple of shots. They try to move it, like some shots that make it seem like Worf is an expert with the bat left um, mm-hmm. to to show his, his kind of expertise. I, I like that. Yeah, I think the the ability levels are clearly different, and I like that. That's, that's something you don't often see. You just see everybody being good. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a tough one to sell, uh, and I completely agree that it doesn't look like overly rehearsed. <laughs> but overall, I really like it. Um, so, you know, uh, the the big problem is that uh, at the end of this fight, <laughs> you know, I kind of think that Worf's going to do what everybody always does in these and just kind of, you know, give it some deep breaths and... You know, you're not worth it and put it to the side. But no, fuck that. <laughs> he just, guy's helpless and he just murders him. Yeah. Full on murders Even him. Even the way they shoot um, it, 
makes you think that that's what's going to mm-hmm. happen because they shoot yeah, from Worf's agreed. point. They shoot at Worf. You see him, mm-hmm. you know, strike down, and I was positive that that was going to be, you know, driven into the ground next to his head, next to Duress's head. Right. Like, I was, and it's after. Right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just it, it, stunned. It, like you said, Kate, like they shoot from him and, but they give you, don't they give you an angle of Riker and, and somebody mm-hmm. else? Like you hear them interject. They arrive. So there's like, no, a moment don't. where, yeah, yeah. So that, and that's what like, oh, so that's, that got through to him. Yes. Nope. Yeah. Not this time. <laughs> yeah. You get not. that nice stop and he just does not. Does For not some stop. reason, I knew he was going to kill him when he took off his badge. Previously on, on the Enterprise, when when Worf is 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 you know gearing up for this Previously attack, he's Enterprise. like, "This is not me as Starfleet. This is me as as me, as 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 the Klingon yeah. I am." And I I was like, "No, man, he's gonna he's gonna fucking kill him." And I'm glad. That and honestly, the rest of the episode moves pretty fast. Yeah, like the next thing you see is the Klingons bugging out. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's implied that it's five to ten minutes later because Worf has now been, uh, you know, brought uh, into uh, Case Picard's closed. room. Yeah. Uh, Picard says that, you know, the, the Klingons, as far as they're concerned, like Jimmy says, case is closed. You know, he got what he deserved. It was a fair fight. Fuck it. Uh, but Picard says, you know, we have, was it, does he say 23 or 22 different uh, societies represented? Oh, is it that little? I uh, thought it was. Thirteen yeah. different yeah. Uh, societies represented in the in the Federation, and they all have their different methods, and they all have their different responsibilities, but they are part of the Federation when they agree to do this job. And he says, if they can't, they should resign. He says, should they should resign? Um, and he says, do you want to do that? And honestly, like, I couldn't remember. Like, I knew that Worf stayed until the end and didn't leave for Deep Space Nine right away. But, like, part of me was like, is this where he leaves? Right. Um, or at least for an episode so or two. Rewatched. Right? Like, right. I agree with you. I was like, did he take a vacation? And he <laughs> exit from the episode, the, the series for, you know, Yeah, did he travel with his kid for a while? Uh, um, and the answer is no. He does not. Uh and Picard has, again, one of those moments that echoes back to the earlier one where he says, I get it. We all really liked her. I get that I can't quite understand where you're coming from. Um, I personally still like you. <laughs> like, he puts all of that into the subtext. And then he says, and a formal reprimand will appear on your record. Your permanent record. This will you. go down, down on, on your, your permanent, permanent record. record. <laughs> oh, yeah. But don't get so distressed. Oh, I'm so happy right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then there's a moment that, again, I think was overdue. He says, yeah, I think maybe we should talk about Ketimer now. I mean, he, dude's dead. Maybe we can just talk about Ketimer. Like we should have fucking before and your wife would still be alive. <laughs> And uh, Worf says, we really can't because all of the fucking fragile assholes who still run the the uh, Klingon High Command were part of that lie. So we got to keep their egos. Uh, but, he says, and this is where he brings up Tony Todd, uh, me and my brother will show the fuck up and make them tell the truth. One right. day I will say, Candyman, 
Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> 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 and we will have our comeuppance. Yes. Well, can we talk um, about for a second, this is yet another example of how Picard's agency as captain seems to be as nebulous as the stars. Like, he can excuse or let go <laughs> absolutely anything he chooses because Worf did murder somebody. And even though the Klingons are fine with that, that cannot be in line with Starfleet regulations. There, there must be some procedure <laughs> to yeah. answering for that. And it's just, it's the taking of a life absolutely on board justified and understand it but just because i understand it doesn't make it right and you know degrees of taking lives is what makes taking lives so acceptable and like it just that is just swept under the rug as a reprimand i mean that's what makes it the worst is like and you know this is going to be on your record by the way um that you killed the guy i mean come on it's crazy we we the the phrase that I always think of when when Picard does shit like this is the, the saying is something like the last true dictatorship in the U.S. is a rural sheriff, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. literally can do whatever the fuck they want, and right. no one can hold yeah. them responsible. And that's exactly what I think of that's with Picard. Point. He can do whatever he wants. You know, it's it's happy that he is the kind of person that we think is morally correct most of the time, so we're cool with it. But the next guy is not going to be cool, right? <laughs> no, so the, the yes. fact that Picard can do this exactly. is disturbing. Yes. Um, so we have one final scene, and this one goes pretty quick too. He's like, "I'm going to leave you with my parents, the Rothschenkos," uh, and uh, Alexander's like, "Well, why can't I stay with you?" And he says, "Well, you need a family." Can I tell you <laughs> my ahead, favorite Drew. part of this? Hey, yeah. Is that Please. Alexander is sitting on that weird ass chair? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that weird yes. ball chair. The scene started, and yeah. I cried out with glee that he was sitting. And my and Eli was like, "What the fuck is that chair?" And I was like, "Oh, that's yes. the chair. <laughs> that's the chair." When we went into the room, I was like, "Oh, that chair better be there," because I was waiting for continuity. And yeah. then when Alexander was sitting there, I was like, "Oh, amazing! The contemplation chair." <laughs> And even little Perfect. Alexander, diminutive, tiny yeah, little Alexander is still, he's forced to like sit in it dramatically because the chair makes you. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes he, you he ask looks the a question. looks like Lily Tomlin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like a little kid. It makes you ask the question, the are you question. my daddy? And he says, yes, I, I love that. Yes. I think that's the arc of this he whole. He says, yes. Yes, now get out of here. I am your father. <laughs> and I will also say that it gave me great glee this time to think of small diminutive alexander going to live with what we now know are wharves wonderful parents yeah. <laughs> like yes i'm like oh we've met them <laughs> yeah the little nerd gets to go live with some great big dorks it's really fantastic i think also his character name is alexander rachenko yeah it's a good name amazing does that mean that Worf's last name um, is Rochenko? We just never yeah, say it. It is. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I always said the Klingon just went with first Worf name Rochenko, and you know, son of Moog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Parentage. 
when that's the episode like that's how it ends yes i am your father and the enterprise fucks off that's that's what we are left with um and a whole bunch of questions what's going to happen with the klingon empire what's going to happen with this kid is Worf going to spiral out of control with the death of his one true love it's uh it's a really exciting time to be a star trek fan at this particular moment um uh, so let's let's get into uh, what you thought about this episode and rate it up. We'll start with you, Jimmy G. Uh, I will give this eight molecular decay devices. Um, anytime <laughs> you lose a character that you love, it hurts, it sucks, but it's also very brave and kind of cool uh, because it makes the world uh, seem more realistic uh, that not everybody that you want to survive survives. So that was yeah. kind of awesome. Some brilliant performances uh, by uh, uh, by the Klingon leader, um, and um, uh, Duras was great too. But especially Galron was super fun to watch. Uh, of course, Kalar was just absolutely enthralling as you know the the Kate to Worf's Petruchio. Uh, that that back and forth <laughs> and sort of cheek biting um, was. <laughs> It was just super fun, and you know, it, it was it was great to see uh, that the piecing together that, like I said earlier, Star Trek beginning to flirt with the idea that stories can be have long arcs without it being a part one or two. It can just we can come back to it later and have uh, depth in the universe. So we get you know our first introduction to Alexander. We will see him many more times, uh, and we'll get to even see him grow into a young man. Uh, and that's kind of cool to give us in real life. Like we get to be one age and see this character at another age and we are also older and it just makes that time passage seem more, uh, it's makes it visceral. So a, a lot of fun. I give it eight. I like it. What do you think, Greg Tito? I am going to go with eight and a half, but check off um, it is a well-constructed episode, as you said, to, to start us off, Eric. The, the scripting on this is really good. The characters come through strongly. We learn so much more about the Klingon Empire and how it works or how it's dysfunctional uh, as, as this, we go through. And it's a great character moment for, for Worf. Um, all the things Jimmy said about the implications of this episode on on what's to come in Star Trek lore is really fascinating. I don't think I was aware of that when I was watching it for the first time in 1990, and it's so great to now have that foreknowledge and and watch it with the uh, idea that that you know the implications of this are are going to be uh, affected for 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 many decades to come. And it's so great to see Worf win a battle finally with a battle. <laughs> Yeah, so. finally and forever. <laughs> the great Kate Yeager, what do you have to say about this episode? I'm going to give this episode eight and a half arm bombs. Uh, <laughs> this is just a fucking great episode. Uh, the acting is wonderful on all accounts. We've just got guest star after guest star after guest star giving their all in this episode. Uh, in an episode where... If we just had Goran, Goran and his big wide eyes, maybe that wouldn't have made sense if we didn't also have Kalar, if we didn't also have the leader, if we didn't, you know, like they've, they've made this world very complete and have room for these big, huge 
character choices that totally make sense and seem grounded in this world that we've created together. Uh, this episode surprised me multiple times. I had forgotten about the explosion. I had forgotten that this is actually where Duras meets his end. So anytime Star Trek Next Generation can surprise me is great because it just means that I got to go on the journey a second time. And this one was a wonderful journey to take. I love it. Um, mm -hmm. I guess it's my turn. I'm going to give it nine dead Klingons. Uh, I'm only overshooting it by a couple. Like, we lost a lot of Klingons in this episode. <laughs> um, several of my all-time favorites. Um, I just, I, you know, it's been said. I, I, I love everything about this episode, um, except the few little tiny things that I don't. Uh, <laughs> but the big stuff, I think it's among my favorite, both in terms of building lore for the future and um, uh, giving really interesting exits to several really interesting characters. Uh, overall, I think it's one of my favorite episodes, and I had forgotten how much I liked it. All I was remembering going into it was Tiny Alexander and thinking, oh, well, this is kind of a, a gimmicky episode. And then I rewatched it, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, that, that also probably lifted the number for me. Um, but overall, I, I think it's super strong. I've had a great time talking about it. And, uh, you know, I'd like to thank everybody for joining again. Um, so from, from your, uh, one of your favorite COVID long haulers and, and the rest of us here, um, I want you to go wet your pants Aww. for us. That's so nice. Alexander's wetting thank his you. pants right now, too. Right now. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. We engage is edited by Greg Tito and Jimmy G and sometimes Kate Yeager. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97 on Twitter. The music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to re-engage.